podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio Podcast. Podcast devoted to Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for joining us. On today's episode, we're going to do somewhat of a shorter news segment focused primarily on Napoli transfer updates, and then we'll have a brief update on Serie A news. In part two, we'll preview Napoli's opening match of the season against Parma on Sunday, And in part three, we'll complete our preview of the 2020-2021 campaign. Last episode, we covered the top six teams in the league. Today, we will cover the rest. So getting right into it, the big news over the last few days was that Arkadiusz Milik has finally been sold. After a long negotiation, Napoli and Roma have agreed to terms. The latest reports are that Roma will pay Napoli 18 million euros plus 7 million euros in bonuses. There was a report that Roma included two Primavera players in the deal as well. The names I saw were Simone Modugno, who's a 17-year-old striker, and Samuele Meloni, who's a 17-year-old right-back, but I can't confirm whether that actually happened or not. According to Corriere dello Sport, they will both be loaned to De Laurentiis' other club, which is Serie side Bari. That left it to Milik to agree to terms with Roma. He took a couple days to think about it, but ultimately he did agree to a move. And the reports are that Milik has signed a four-year contract at 5 million euros per season. On Thursday, the squad got together for dinner at the Reserva rooftop restaurant in Posilipo to inaugurate the 2020-2021 campaign. And at that point, the deal had already been completed with Roma, so the players got to say their goodbyes to Milik there. Milik then had his medicals on Friday morning, which he completed in Switzerland because of his history of knee injuries. Milik did pass his medical, though. There was also some speculation that the deal was delayed because Milik had outstanding fines owed to the club from the mutiny, but it looks like that was taken care of as well. Roma had simultaneously negotiated a sale of Edin Zeko to Juventus, so taken together, Roma recorded gain, which is really important for them given their financial situation. In fact, all parties involved benefit. Napoli collect a significant sum for a player who's free to walk a year from now, and they potentially get a couple of young players in the deal as well. And Juve address a gap in their squad with the departure of Gonzalo Higuain, and they do it with a player who, in my mind, was the best option of all the players that they have been linked to. Moving on, it appears that another Napoli target is no longer available, and this is a big one. Sergio Reguilon is heading to Tottenham for a fee that could potentially exceed £32 million. Reguilon and Real Madrid teammate Gareth Bale both completed their medicals on Thursday before hopping on the private jet of Tottenham owner Daniel Levy to join their new club. One of my favorite writers about Spanish football is Sid Lowe. Sid is also one of the hosts of the Spanish Football Podcast, and he features regularly on the Guardian Football Weekly podcast. He was recently asked on The Guardian what he thinks about Reguilon. He said he's conflicted about the move from Real Madrid to Tottenham. He described Reguilon as a really enjoyable player to watch. He said he's a left-back that gets up the line quite a lot. His crossing is usually pretty good, and he's got guts, even though he's little and doesn't look like an extraordinary athlete. That sounds a lot like the player we saw in the Europa League, 
and a lot like the type of fullback that would fit in perfectly at Napoli. Sid added that he does have a couple of doubts. One is whether he's a Mourinho type of fullback, and the other is whether he's an English Premier League type of fullback. So there's a part of him that thinks this is not going to work out, and that might actually be pretty good for Napoli, because his value could potentially drop, and then maybe Napoli try to sign him a couple years down the road to replace Mario Rui at left back and potentially get him for a discount. In other transfer news, the latest on Kaladu Koulibaly is that Manchester City are shopping around for alternatives, which could be legitimate or it could be a negotiating tactic. If it is a tactic, it's probably not going to work as Napoli are perfectly fine keeping Koulibaly for another season. Meanwhile, according to Tuto Sport, PSG have offered 52 million euros plus a 7 million euro bonus for the defender. I don't know if that's true or not, but again, Napoli are not desperate to sell, so if we rejected 65 million from Manchester City, I don't know why we would accept that offer from PSG. Moving on, Crotone president Giovanni Vrena spoke to Radio Kiss Kiss where he confirmed that Crotone are in fact interested in Sebastiano Luperto. He added they hope Napoli can give them an answer, positive or negative, as soon as possible, suggesting that Napoli is sitting on their offer. That could be because Napoli are reportedly negotiating with Genoa and Parma for Luperto as well. Vrena also said that they do not require Adam Unis, as they are already set up top. Gianluca Gaetano has officially joined Cremonese for another year on loan, and Gennaro Tutino could be joining Gaetano in Serie B. According to Corriere dello Sport, Salernitana has made an offer for him. Moving on to Serie A, the question of fans in stadiums has arisen again. Earlier this week, La Repubblica revealed some of the measures Lega Serie A had proposed to the Technical and Scientific Committee to partially reopen stadiums, which was a 300-page document they submitted in July. Those measures included transparent masks to allow for facial recognition by the authorities, access to the facilities would be via five staggered entrances, spectators must remain a distance of 2.25 square meters between them, Temper checks are to be taken and anyone with a temperature greater than 37.5 degrees Celsius would be isolated, and the proposal was to have 20% attendance rate. As usual, Serie A is lagging behind other European countries on this, which is not necessarily a bad thing in this case. Ligue 1 started a few weeks ago with partial attendance. In Germany, RB Leipzig has approved 8,500 fans at the Red Bull Arena, which is 20% of the 42,000 capacity stadium. Up until very recently, it appeared doors would remain closed for matches in Italy, but then Minister of Sport Vincenzo Spadafora said, Finally, starting from the semifinals and finals of the International Tennis Championship, a thousand spectators will be able to attend all sporting competitions that will be held outdoors and that will scrupulously respect the rules regarding spacing, masks, and seat reservations. With that statement, the governor of Emilia-Romagna, Stefano Bonaccini, issued an ordinance to allow clubs in his region to have 1,000 fans in attendance, which means the Napoli-Parma and Sassuolo-Cagliari matches will have some fans. So that will do it for the news. In part 2, we'll preview Napoli's match on Sunday against Parma.
Napoli kick off the 2020-21 campaign on Sunday against Parma at the Stadio Ennio Tardini, so let's preview this match. I want to start with the end of last season. Parma had one of the worst records after the restart with 4 wins, 1 draw, and 7 losses. They did finish strong though with 3 wins in their final 4 matches. Two of those wins were expected against Lecce and Brescia, but the other win was not. That was a 2-1 win over Napoli. Whether they deserve to win that match is an altogether different story. For those who don't recall, Parma were awarded two very suspect penalty kicks in that match, both of which they converted for the win. I wouldn't take too much out of that match though, at that point Napoli really had very little left to play for, other than to use the final matches of the campaign as preparation for the Champions League match against Barcelona. So that was Parma's end to the season, next let's talk about their summer. They really did not do much, they haven't signed a single player yet. Meanwhile, they've lost some pretty good ones. The most important, of course, is Dejan Kulusevski, who Juventus acquired in January, but loaned him back to Parma for the balance of the season. They also lost Yonet Radu, who has returned to Inter at the end of his loan, though I would expect Inter to try to loan him back. And they lost Gianluca Caprari, who returned to Sampdoria before being loaned to Benevento. Then in August, Parma sacked Roberto Diversa and replaced him with Fabio Liberani, I like what Liverani did at Lecce, but I thought that was a bit harsh on Daversa. Before the season was suspended, Parma were sitting in 8th place, only 2 points back of Verona in 7th, which turned out to be a Europa League spot with Napoli winning the Coppa Italia. Finally, just this week, the Kraus Group acquired 90% of the club. Kraus Group is another American company with businesses in real estate, logistics, agriculture, and wineries. The company started with a chain of convenience stores in the American Midwest. Kyle Krauss, who is the president of Krauss Group and now of Parma, is a third generation family member. He posted a video on social media that got quite a bit of attention, unfortunately it was for the wrong reasons. I'm sure he meant well, but the video really does make you cringe. If you can get past the poor pronunciation of Italian words, and the attempt to look excited, and the fact that this speech was clearly written for him, then one important takeaway from the speech is the announcement that Marcello Carli is appointed as the new sporting director. Before we get to the starting lineups, let's quickly go over Parma's preseason. They began with a 2-0 win over Serie C side Carpi, then they lost 2-0 to Serie B side Empoli. That was followed by a 6-0 win over Serie D side Pro Sesto, and they closed their friendlies with a 1-0 win over Genoa. Okay, so that brings us to the starting lineups. For Parma, I'm going to rely on Gazzetta's predicted starting 11, as it's the first game of the season, so beside the friendlies, which I haven't watched, there's not a whole lot to go by, especially with the new manager. In terms of Parma's formation, we know that Liverani likes to play a 4-man backline, a 3-man midfield, and 3 attacking players, but the attack sometimes has a trequartista, and other times has a lone striker implying either a 4-3-1-2 or a 4-3-2-1 formation. So Gazzetta have Luigi Seppe in goal. At the back, Simone Jacoponi and the ageless Bruno Alves are the center backs. Giuseppe Pezzella is expected to start at left back and Matteo Darmian at right back though we could see Vincent Laurini at right back instead. In the midfield, we should see Gaston Brugman in the middle, Hernani on the left, and Alberto Grassi on the right. Yuri Kuchka is expected to play in the number 10 spot, with Yasmin Kurtic missing this match due to suspension. Kuchka will play just behind Jan Karamoa on the left. He scored the lone goal against Genoa, and Roberto Inglese on the right, but it's quite possible that we see Andreas Cornelius start in place of Inglese. Gervinho is not expected to start and may not even be on the bench as he's recovering from muscle fatigue. For Napoli, we've seen a lot of different combinations in the friendlies. My predicted formation is essentially based on the assumption that at least for the opening match, Gattuso's not going to experiment too much. So with that, I expect Napoli to line up in the 4-3-3. 
I've always maintained that this will be Meret's year to take over as the starting keeper. I know Gattuso favored Ospina last year because he felt Ospina had better footwork, but Meret has been working on that all summer and during the COVID break. And Ospina's 32 years old, which is not terribly old as far as keepers go, but Meret has to be the keeper for the future, so he needs to start playing matches now. I expect the back four to feature Kaladu Koulibaly and Kostas Manolas as the center backs. Hopefully those two can develop some better chemistry this season, assuming Koulibaly is not sold over the final two weeks of the transfer window. Mario Rui should start at left back and Giovanni Di Lorenzo at right back. In the midfield, I have Diego Demme as the starting regista as Stanislav Lobotka recovers from a minor knock he picked up in training. And in front of him, we should see the usual duo of Piotr Zielinski and Fabian Ruiz. I'm expecting both of them to have strong seasons. Up top, Lorenzo Insigne will play on the left wing wearing the captain's armband. On the right, we should see Matteo Politano. I don't think Lozano starts, but I could see Lozano replacing Politano around the 65th minute. And then in the middle, the big debate is who starts between Mertens and you signing Victor Osimhen. I think Gattuso will go to Mertens here and probably for the first couple of matches. I think he'll use Osimhen as a substitute to get his feet wet and to get accustomed to competitive playing Serie A and slowly integrate him into the starting eleven. If Napoli find themselves trailing, or if the score is level about midway through the second half, then I can see Gattuso switching to the 4-2-3-1 by replacing either Fabian or Zielinski with Osimhen and Politano with Lozano. I still expect both of those players to come in, even if Napoli is winning, but with the lead, I think Gattuso sticks with the 4-3-3 and replaces Mertens with Osimhen instead. The match official for this one is Maurizio Mariani. Mariani has officiated 9 Napoli matches in Serie A, 8 of which were Napoli wins, including the 2-1 win over Juventus last season, and the other match resulted in a draw. That might bode well for Napoli, who were really on the wrong side of the referee's whistle in the last meeting, which was that 2-1 defeat I mentioned earlier. Mariani's linesmen are Emanuele Prenna and Damiano Margani. Ricardo Ross is the fourth official, Gianluca Aureliano is on the VAR, and Stefano Del Giovanni is the assistant VAR. So for my prediction, I'm going to go with a comfortable 2-0 win for Napoli on a brace by Dries Mertens. I know it was only a friendly, but Parma struggled to score against Genoa, who I think is going to be one of the weaker sides in the league this year. In fact, with Kulusevski now at Juve and with Gervinho not in the starting 11, I think Parma are really going to struggle to score this year, even with an attack-minded coach in Fabio Liberani. I think Napoli are going to control the pace of this match, so like last season, the only risk is the counter-attack, but again, with Parma's two fastest players from last season not playing, that risk is greatly reduced. I'm certainly not concerned about Inglese's pace, and while you do need to worry about Caramoa, he's not as clinical of a finisher as Gervinho is. Caramoa only scored once in 14 appearances last season. I'm certainly not concerned about Inglese's pace, and while Andreas Cornelius did score 12 goals last season, he tends to score against the weaker opponents. Nine of those goals were against Genoa, Lecce, or Torino. So that's our preview of Napoli Parma. In part three, we'll do the second half of our preview of the 2020-21 Serie A campaign. Passa scampanianna pattuleta Con manu appa pata fa guarda Tu vuoi fare l'americano, americano, americano Sienta a me chi tu fa fa Tu vuoi vivere alla moda, ma se bevi 
whisky and soda Pode siente disturbado Tu ballo rock and roll Tu gioca baseball Vei sorte beccamella Chi te li dà la borsetta di mamma tua Fa l'americano Americano, americano Ma si nati in Italia Sienta a me non c'è sta niente fa Ok Napolitan Tu vuoi fare l'American Tu vuoi fare l'American We'll close the pod with the second part of our preview of the upcoming season. As a reminder, last episode we covered the top six clubs, and we have Juventus winning Scudetto, Inter, Napoli, and Atalanta qualifying for the Champions League in that order, and Milan and Lazio qualifying for the Europa League. So this episode will cover the remaining 14 positions in the same amount of time, which means we'll have to go a little bit quicker for each club. I think we're going to have three clubs competing for that 7th place position, which could be a Europa League spot, depending on who wins the Coppa Italia. Those three clubs are Roma, Fiorentina, and Sassuolo. I think all three of these clubs are very intriguing in their own right, and I think this battle will be very intriguing as well. Roma is entering a new era under the ownership of the Friedkin Group. For me, they've been one of the most interesting clubs to follow this offseason, and I'm really torn about what to expect from them. On the one hand, I expect the decline purely because of the financial situation there. The club is 250 million euros in debt, and they need to generate about 100 million euros in player sales by the end of next season, or June 2021. If you want a comprehensive breakdown of Roma's financial situation, I suggest you listen to the AS Roma Press podcast. I believe two episodes ago, they covered the financials. On the other hand, Roma have made some very impressive moves in the Mercato lately. Roma got off to a slow start on the market, but they are starting to make progress now. They loaned Alessandro Florenzi to PSG and sold Patrick Schick to Bayer Leverkusen. Rick Karsdorp appears to be heading to Genoa, and Roma have just about completed the sale of Cengiz Under to Leicester City. As we mentioned in Part 1, Roma have sold Eden Zeko to Juventus, which not only generates a plus Valenza, but also reduces their salary burden. That position has been filled by Arkadiusz Milik from Napoli. Now, at the moment, I think Milik is a downgrade from Zeko, but Zeko is 34 years old compared to Milik, who is only 26. I personally think that Milik will fit in very well at Roma, and though things went south pretty quickly at Napoli, I think he still has the potential to be a very good player if he can stay healthy. When you factor in the financials, namely the fee for Milik and his significantly lower salary, this could turn out to be a very shrewd move by Roma. Another shrewd move was the signing of Marash Kumbula from Hellas Verona for nearly 30 million euros, which is partially offset by the swap of Mert Setin. Roma are still expected to bring Chris Smalling back, and with Gianluca Mancini, this could be a very strong back line. And I'm sure most of our listeners know by now, Nicolo Zaniolo tore his ACL, so he'll miss most of the season, which is a huge loss for Roma, but Roma managed to do really well without Zaniolo last season, so the losses annual won't necessarily set them back, but it will hurt their chances of qualifying for European competition. Henrik Mkhitaryan has joined Roma on a permanent basis, along with Pedro, and it seems that Roma will retain some key players including Jordan Bertu and Lorenzo Pellegrini. Finally, I think Paolo Fonseca did not get enough credit for what he accomplished last season. He led this side to a 5th place finish despite all of the off-field distractions with the sale of the club, and despite sustaining an absurd number of injuries, especially knee injuries, Fonseca led Roma to 10 wins, 5 draws, and only 2 losses in the first 17 matches of the season, but that's largely forgotten because of how long ago that was. 
So we'll see how this Roma side does. I have them finishing in 7th, but I wouldn't be terribly shocked if they finished in 6th, nor would I be shocked if they finished all the way down in 9th. One of the teams that could surpass Roma this year is Fiorentina. La Viola are coming off an up and down season. They had stretches where they couldn't win and stretches where they couldn't lose. In the middle of the season, they had a stretch of 8 matches without a win, 5 of those results being losses, dropping all the way down to 15th in the table. Then they had the unfortunate loss of arguably their best player in Frank Ribéry, who required surgery to repair ligament damage in his right ankle. But Fiorentina finished the season strong, losing only one match in their final nine and finishing ninth in the table. That said, I think Viola Nation and new owner Rocco Comiso were disappointed with last season, as I'm sure they were hoping to compete for a place in Europe. Speaking of Comiso, the outspoken Italian-American was probably the most positive story for Fiorentina last season. He definitely became a fan favorite, calling out the referees against Juventus and through his efforts to build a new stadium. Comiso and his sporting director, Daniele Prade, have been very active in the Mercato. In January, they added Christian Kuame from Genoa and Alfred Duncan from Sassuolo, both on loans with options to buy. This summer, they continued relations with Sassuolo, adding Polirola, in addition to adding Giacomo Bonaventura and Borja Valero on free transfers. Yes, Bonaventura and Valero are a bit older, but I think they can still be very useful pieces for a club like Fiorentina. But the most important acquisition was made in January when Fiorentina added Sofia Namrabat from Hellas Verona for about 20 million euros, which I think will turn out to be an absolute steal. Amrabat was one of, if not the best midfielder in Serie A last season. When you add that lot to German Petzella, Nikola Milenkovic, assuming those two don't get sold, Eric Pulgar and Frank Ribéry, this is looking like a pretty strong club with an excellent balance of young stars, players in their prime, and experienced veterans. So I'm very high on Fiorentina, even though I have them finishing in 8th, I definitely think they will be competing for those Europa League positions this season. Next, I have Sassuolo. This is another club whose place in the final standings is extremely difficult to predict. They caught a lot of people's attention last season, myself included, with their attack-minded style of play under the Zerbi, especially immediately after the restart. Sassuolo came out of the COVID break with 4 wins, 4 draws, and no losses, including a dramatic last-minute draw to Inter and a 2-1 win over Lazio and a 3-3 draw to Juventus. Other than Milan, no side scored more goals after the restart than the Zerbis. A big part of Sassuolo's attack was Jeremy Boga, scoring 11 goals and assisting on 4. Boga has been rumored to leave for quite some time, with Napoli being the most interested club. If Sassuolo can get the 40 million euro price tag they've slapped on Boga, they probably will make that move. Three other players were instrumental to Sassuolo's success, Manuel Locatelli, Domenico Berardi, and Francesco Caputo. Like Boga, Locatelli has been linked to other clubs, though it seems as though he will spend another season at Sassuolo. Berardi and Caputo combined for 35 goals and 17 assists. If Caputo's success continues this season, then he could well get the call-up from Mancini for the Euros, which would be remarkable for a 33-year-old who only just completed his first Serie A campaign. Like Fiorentina, Sassuolo have an excellent balance of youth and experience. In addition to 20-year-old Hamid Jr. Traore, who was important to Sassuolo, 20-year-old right-back Mert Muldur and 19-year-old striker Giacomo Raspadori were given the opportunity to showcase their talents, and both of them look like promising young players. If Sassuolo can find that form that they showed after the restart, and if they can retain Boga and Locatelli for another season, then they too can compete for a place in the Europa League. 
After Roma, Fiorentina, and Sassuolo, I think there's a bit of a drop-off in quality. I have three clubs in the next tier. We'll start with Bologna, who I have finishing in 10th. While I consider Bologna to be a team that hasn't improved, at least in terms of transfers, I do think they will improve their position in the table because there are a couple of clubs that finished above them that I think have weakened. First and foremost, I think Bologna's biggest strength is their manager. Sinisa Mihailovic is a warrior. He's been managing this club while fighting leukemia for over a year now. Then this past summer, he contracted coronavirus, but despite being high risk, he beat that too and returned to training about a week and a half ago after two negative tests. While Bologna have not been active in the market, they benefit from having a number of young, talented players, especially in the attack, who have yet another year of experience under their belt. Musabero leads the attack. He joined Bologna in January on an 18-month loan from Atalanta and hit the ground running. In his 18 appearances, he scored 9 and assisted 3 goals, and will hope to continue that success in his first full season with the club. Then you have Ricardo Orsolini, who could be in his last season with Bologna. He's under contract until 2022 and is just entering his prime at 23 years of age, so I expect if he has another season like he did last year, he'll find himself playing for a top club next season. Like Chicho Caputo, if he continues to play well, he too could, and probably should, get the call up from Mancini for the Euros. On the left side, Musa Juara was a revelation post-restart, particularly for his performance against Inter where he came off the bench with Bologna down 1-0 and equalized shortly thereafter before Musa Barrow scored the winner. He didn't feature too much for Bologna last season, but he's 18 now, he'll be 19 in December, so we'll see if he plays more of a prominent role in the attack this season. The last young player on this squad I want to call out is Takehiro Tomiyasu, who was another standout player for Bologna last season. So I think with all that young talent under the leadership of Mihailovic and playing alongside some very good experienced players like Roberto Soriano and Danilo, this Bologna side could be very good and have the potential to steal points from top clubs. So that brings me to Torino, who I have making a significant leap in the table from 16th up to 11th. And I think this for two reasons. First, they've appointed Marco Giampaolo as manager. Now, I know a lot of people have written him off after just a dreadful experience at Milan. Because of that, I think a lot of people have quickly forgotten how good he was at Sampdoria. When he joined Sampdoria in 2016-17, they were coming off a 15th place finish. That season, Sampdoria finished 10th, then the following two seasons, they finished in 9th. That run coincided with some remarkable seasons from the ageless Fabio Quagliarella, who scored 57 goals over those three seasons, despite being well past his prime. Then, after Giampaolo left, Sampdoria dropped back down to 15th. I think you can draw some comparisons between that Sampdoria club and this Torino side, not the least of which is the quality of the striker position. I know that some people think Bellotti had one good season, but I still rate him. And besides Bellotti, I think Torino have quite a few talented players, which is the second reason I think they improve. They've managed to retain Salvatore Sirigu, who seemed destined to leave. They also have Nicolas Unculu at center back, who I really like. And they still have Alex Berenguer at left wing. Now, they did lose Ola Aina to Fulham, Lorenzo de Silvestri to Bologna, and they may lose Armando Izzo, who's looking for that big contract to end his career, so there may be some questions about the back line. But the main issue at Torino last season was the coach. Walter Mazzari had a terrible season, and Moreno Longo didn't fare much better. I'm putting a little bit more confidence in Giampaolo, so I have Torino finishing in 11th. In 12th, I have Cagliari, and to be honest, I'm not terribly confident they even finished that high. Here are the players that have joined the club. 
20-year-old Gabriela Zappa from Serie B Club Pescara, Razvan Marin from Ajax, Ricardo Sotil on loan from Fiorentina, and 21-year-old Alessandro Tipadelli from Sassuolo. Other than Sotil, these are relatively unknown young players who perhaps they end up being really good, but perhaps they're not so good. Now, let me go over the players who have departed. Artur Yonita, who's joined Benevento, Luca Pellegrini, who's returned to Juventus after his loan expired, Federico Mattiello, who returned to Atalanta at the end of his loan and is now off to Spezia, and most importantly, Rajda Nengolan, who has returned to Inter at the end of his loan. That's a lot of talent leaving the club, and I would suggest, based on the list of incoming players we just went through, that the talent has not been adequately replaced. Now, we'll see if Cagliari and Inter can work out a permanent deal for Nengolan, but the latest reports are that he could in fact stay at Inter. If that's true, that's a huge loss for Cagliari. When he wasn't hurt, he was a huge part of this squad. He wore the captain's armband, and during Cagliari's successful run of form in October through November and at the start of December, he scored four goals and assisted on four more. Cagliari was also linked to Diego Godin, but they seem to be having issues closing that deal as well. So even though I have Cagliari finishing in 12th, which is two places better than last season, I think they are going to struggle this year. After those three teams, I think there's another drop in quality. In the next tier is basically the clubs that I think will be fighting for survival, but will not be relegated. In this tier, I have Verona, Parma, Genoa, Benevento, and Sampdoria. So let's go through these sides very quickly. I have Verona finishing in 13th. That's essentially because of the players they lost. As I mentioned in the part on Fiorentina, Amrabat was one of, if not the best, midfielder in the league. Matteo Pessina returned to Atalanta at the end of his loan deal. Napoli acquired Amir Rachmani in January, and Marash Kumbula is on the verge of joining Roma, if he hasn't already by the time you hear this. As good as Amrabat is, I think the loss of Rachmani and Kumbula will be more impactful. Verona's success early last season was because of their staunch defense, which is undoubtedly weaker now. With the compressed schedule after the restart, the defending wasn't as good, and they really struggled to get results. In the final nine matches of the season, Verona won only one of them. Now, they did bring in some interesting players. Adrian Temez is an excellent addition from Nice. I don't know much about Kevin Rug from Zurich, so we'll see about that. They also signed a number of players on loan deals. They got Mertzatin from Roma as part of the Kumbula deal, Giacomo Magnani from Sassuolo, Marco Benassi from Fiorentina, Antonin Barak from Udinese, and Andrea Favilli from Genoa. So that's a lot of pieces to work with, and if there's anyone who can get the best out of those players, it's even Juric, which, to be honest, is the only reason why I don't have them finishing lower in the table. Next, I have Parma, who we covered in more detail in Part 2, but I'll do a quick recap for those who may have skipped over to this section. Really, there were three main changes. In January, Parma sold their best player from last season, Dejan Kulusevski, to Juventus. In August, they sacked Roberto Diversa and replaced him with Fabio Liberani, who's an excellent coach, but the players now will have to get used to his system and his style of play. And just this week, they had a change in ownership with Klaus Group requiring 90% of the club, which may or may not impact the play of the team. In 14th, I have Benevento, which may come as a surprise to some, and I may be influenced by my bias from following them destroy Serie B last season. I don't think this will be the same as Benevento's first season in Serie A, where they had one of the worst seasons in the history of the league. My big concern with this club is they have one of the oldest squads in Serie B last season, which was fine for Serie B, but probably won't cut it in Serie A. Unlike Sampdoria and Genoa, Benevento have been very active in the Mercato. 
They brought in Camille Glick back to Serie A. They added Arturo Yonita from Cagliari. And up top, they added two Gianlucas. Gianluca Lapadula joined from Genoa, though he spent last season at Lecce. And they added Gianluca Caprari on loan from Sampdoria. So they didn't necessarily get any younger, but I think there's a lot of talent there for a lower table club. A big question mark is people in Zaghi, who has done very well coaching in Serie B, but has really struggled in Serie A. That said, I do think they have done enough to survive. I don't have much to say about Sampdoria and Genoa, who I have finishing 16th and 17th. Neither of them have changed much from last season, and they finished 15th and 17th last season respectively, so I expect them to finish in the same neighborhood this season. So that brings us to the relegation spots. By process of elimination, I have Udinese, Crotone, and Spezia there. Crotone added a ton of players, but the majority of them are from Serie B or lower divisions, and a couple are from Ajax. I do like some of their signings, like Emmanuel Riviere from Crotone and Luca Cigarini from Cagliari, even though he's pretty old, but I don't think they've done enough to survive in Serie A. Spezia have not been active, and it's their first time in Serie A, so I fear they will suffer the same fate that Benevento did in their first season and finish in dead last. The last team I have is Udinese. I think they will also feel the loss of Seco Fofana, who was one of my favorite players at Udinese. Now, I must say this is largely based on the assumption that Rodrigo de Paul is sold, which is by no means guaranteed. If he stays, then I can see Udinese surviving and perhaps Genoa or Sampdoria being relegated. So that will do it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with your friends and give us a 5-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you have any questions or if you'd like me to cover anything in particular, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore 5 or you can find the podcast at Forza Napoli Pod on Twitter and Instagram. We'll be back early next week to recap Napoli Parma and Match Day 1 in general, but until then, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli sempre! Network.